I think everyone in here knows who I am, but if you are a guest, I am the associate pastor at the Lakes Assembly. My name is Nate Kress, and uh, I'm glad to have you guys with us today. Uh, we're going to continue the sermon series that Pastor began, Building the Family, uh, today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a different aspect of building family from the Bible. And I really honestly believe it's going to touch many of you in a way that you did not expect to be touched today. Um, And it's because we often in family want everything to just kind of fit a mold. In family, we, we, we would like our family to look a certain way and to act a certain way. As a matter of fact, uh, Pastor was talking about, um, about the board and the advisory board position. And if you haven't already uh, made some nominations, I encourage you to make some nominations uh, for that. If you know somebody that would be good for that position, we're seeking God's will. And so we want to make sure that uh, we're putting the right man or woman in place. Um, but one of, the, one of the things there for a leader is that they do not have an unruly family. And, uh, and so I think about that when it comes to family because uh, that's, a, that's a tall order, not to have an unruly family. And let me tell you why. Because we'd all like to have a family that's perfect, but the reality is none of us have a family that's perfect. Amen? None of us have a family that's got it all together and that, that always does what we want them to do and fits the perfect mold. And when we walk into the room, oh, we, we would like for the kids to be dressed and for their hair to still be done after we fixed it and, and for everything to just look picture perfect. But the reality is that we all have real families made up of real people who are not robots. And God made it that way on purpose. You know, it's easy, it's simple, maybe. It's simple to think, okay, how do I keep myself in line? It's much more complicated to consider how do I make sure my family meets my expectations? Because the reality is that family doesn't always meet my expectations, and the family doesn't always meet your expectations. I have a lovely, supportive uh, wife who is God's gift to me. But sometimes we don't see eye to eye. I have wonderful, precious children who are, who are darlings. They're so sweet and kind and loving, and sometimes they totally surprise me, and they throw me for a loop, and I'm like, whose child are you? Right? And then we've got parents, and we've got in-loves, not in-laws. Y'all need to get that right. And, uh, but, and, and there's this multifaceted relationship that we have, and, 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 and there's always a complication in how we relate to the people in our lives. And it's because God has made the world diverse. And the body of Christ is so diverse even in your family the family of God is so 
the verse, we can't put it in a box and we can't put it in a mold and we can't make it perfect. So how, how do we go about building a healthy family? And so that's what we're going to talk about today, building a healthy family. The title for today's message is specifically building the family near and far. Building the family near and far. You see, if family only came with instructions, then everything would be perfect, right? If we could just pull out the instruction manual and say, okay, when my wife says this, it means I need to do this, right? That doesn't work that way. Guys hate instructions, by the way. And there's one reason that they hate instructions. Because if I get a box that needs to be put together, there ought to be one logical way it all fits together. And if I can't figure it out, the instructions are there for me to fall back on. They're not, they're not preemptive for me to figure it out. Ladies, you're just as guilty. Okay, you go to prepare a meal. You've got this prepared box, and on the side there's the instructions, and so you pour everything out, and then you throw the box in the trash can, and about three minutes later you dig it out of the trash can to look and see if you're doing the right thing. We don't like instructions, but we like to fall back on instructions, right? We like to figure it out, but we don't, we don't like to uh, uh, have instructions ahead of time. But if there's some relief, there's some, some uh, uh, great thing about having a set of instructions. But family doesn't come with instructions. Instead, the Bible gives us principles to live by, and, and, and it teaches us, to set limits, set expectations, and, uh, and, and set certain things in place to guide our children and guide our families. There's not really a set of instructions that work in every situation. Instead, we have to use wisdom. I love my family, but the honest truth is I've yet to figure them out. They're a mystery. You know, marriage is a mystery. We talked about that last week. Kids sometimes seem totally impossible. Um, And then we've got parents. We've got siblings. We've got in-laws. I like to think that my family home dynamic is good. I really do. Um, And and, and truly, I I believe that our family at home is, is very healthy. We're not perfect, but I believe that we're healthy. And let me tell you why. It's not because I have a set of instructions to make sure that everything operates exactly the way that it ought to operate. It's the fact that we put effort into the family. There's a level of effort you have to put into your marriage, into your kids, into your relatives, those near and those far away, if you want to have a healthy family. So the reality is we're dealing with guidelines and principles because we're dealing with people. People are not robots, and that's okay. You can't program them to act a certain way every single time. You can set healthy boundaries, expectations, habits, but you can't control everything your family does. And let me say it one more time, and that's okay. Amen? Amen. 
Seriously, it is okay that people are people, that they make mistakes. It is okay that people are different. It is okay that family doesn't act like perfect little robots of honor and prestige as long as they have a home to come back to. As long as they have a home to come back to, a place of refuge, a place where they know they can get back to this place and everything is right. When they get back to this place, everything is right again. Everything can be made right again. They might be light years away. They might be spiritually lost and desolate because they didn't listen or because they didn't know any better. But if they have a home to fall back on, you see, that's how we build healthy families. Life is a journey. You haven't arrived yet. In theology, we call arrival glorification, and none of you are glorified. Okay, we're, we're, we're sanctified. We're walking through sanctification, but none of us have reached glorification just yet. And that's okay. It's okay that your family has not reached glorification yet. We will. We'll get there, and Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. But he's not here just yet, and it's okay that everything hasn't quite worked itself out yet. Enjoy the journey. Embrace the journey that we call family. The message today is build the family near and far. You see, as a church, we have been commissioned to build the church family near and far. And as uh, personal family, you're responsible for making sure that your family is strong and healthy, both those who are near and those who are far away, whether that's spiritually far away or your child moved to the other side of the world. It's still res- the responsibility of a healthy family to make sure that we're building strong ties and healthy family regardless of where they are. You see, God is still the God of both those close to us and those who seem impossible to reach. Some of you feel like you've got some family members that are impossible to reach. You've been trying to reach them for so long, and it just seems like it's not working out. They're not going to get reached. And some of you have felt like, well, maybe I should just give up. It's a lost cause. They're so far gone from God. They're just totally out there. And I'm telling you this, that healthy families care for those near and far, regardless of how imperfect they are. Healthy families care for those who are near And for those who are far, so far away that they can't seem to possibly be reached, no matter how imperfect they are. And guess what? Sometimes it's the people who are closest to us who uh, seem the most imperfect and impossible to reach. But healthy families care. We never stop caring. Family is family until the end. The bond does not break, and we care regardless of the situation, regardless of the words that are said, regardless of the thing that rises up in front of us, we are family, we will be family until the end. 
God revealed himself as a loving father. And, he, and, and, and Jesus tells this beautiful story about a father and two sons. You guys all know this story, most likely. But we're going to look at this story from this perspective, that it is our responsibility to reach those who are near and those who are far and build the family where they are. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32, the word says this, And then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, just take a moment, and let's think about what's going on here. What is happening in this story that Jesus is telling? Who are these characters? You have a loving father who apparently was wise and wealthy enough to take care of his children and have provided for them up until the age of personal responsibility, right? He was wise, he was loving, he was caring, he had taken care of his kids. And his son asks him a very hard question. Think about the question he asks. He's basically saying, hey, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my money. That's basically the situation. Now, if that situation happened now in your family, how would you react? Because I can tell you the flesh in me would react in a very negative way. If my son told me, Dad, you're dead to me, give me the money... But for some reason, and Jesus does not explain why, the father, the loving father in this story, who's representative of Christ, who's representative of God the Father, doesn't lash out and doesn't build up a wall of separation and tear down the family. No, in this situation, he acts without doing any of those things that I would do and that probably many of us would do. He does not build the wall of separation between him and his son. So I wonder why. And I think it's because he wanted to make sure the door was still open. That his son knew, even if I go off, even if I have totally done everything possible to disown my family, there will always be be an open door for me to come back and receive the love of the Father. Let me tell you, that is the love of God. You cannot run so far away that God does not want you back home with Him. You cannot get so so rowdy and so messed up and so dirty and so, so foolish that God does not want you to be His Son. And that ought to be the, the, the determination for family that we have as believers. That it doesn't matter how far our family gets away, how dirty they are, how messed up they are, how ugly their words are and the things that they do and the actions they take, but they will always, always, always have a place in our living room and at our table to come and to be loved back into the family. Amen. I think it's because he wants to keep that door open. 
because healthy families care for those near and far regardless of how imperfect they are. Regardless of how imperfect and broken and messed up and foolish they might seem. When I think of the son here, I see a young man, not unlike myself, who thinks he's got it all together but lacks wisdom. How many people do you know who are like this, who are so far from God? They've got it figured out. They know how they want to live their life, and they're going to do the things that please them and, 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 and bring them joy, and they're just going to do what they're going to do, and they don't need you, and they're not going to listen to you, and they're so far away from you. But how many do you know who are like that? How many family members do you have who are like that, who are so far gone from God, and yet God loves them? Consider the people in your life who wouldn't set foot in a church. Or maybe it's circumstances, just circumstances that are preventing them from setting foot in a church. They have taken the precious life that has been given to them. They've chosen to live selfishly. What will turn these souls around? Will it be a preacher? Will it be a a special service and a special event and some big thing, flashy thing we show off and we say, Jesus is the answer to, you know, whatever. What what is it going to take to turn around a soul that is so, so selfish and turned on themselves and so just far from God? What turns a person around? What turns them back to the Father? What will turn them to the church? What will turn them to Christ? Verse 14 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. (laughs) I love this. This is how God shows up in the midst of our mess. Right? Because... Look, look, no, there wasn't a, a, a famous preacher who came into town and preached this great sermon and suddenly this, this been out of shape young individual turned back to God and went back to his father and got it all right. No, 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 no. No, God uses the moment and the circumstance and the dirt that he's in and he begins to do what? He gives him a hunger. I want to tell you right now, there are people in your family, people in your life, friends, neighbors, people all around you who are so far from God, but God is doing a work and you do not see it. There is a work of hunger that is going on deep inside of people and God is stirring up inside of them an emptiness, just like he did for this young man. I love how God works in this moment and how he's working in your friends and in your family. You see, God gives them a hunger. And it may not be evident to you and it may not be evident to me, but it's evident to them. And that's really what matters. And they're not even sure how to fill that void. So when you feel hungry and you're not sure how to satisfy yourself, what do you do? 
you fill yourself up with stuff that you don't need. How many of you have been, you've been at home and you get the munchies and you fill yourself up with stuff you don't need, right? This is, this is what happens when we get unhealthy and when the relationships and families are so far broken is we begin to feel hunger and God's putting that hunger there for a reason, but because we haven't been pointed to the table of the precious food of our Lord, because there's not, not a healthy thing around, we fill ourselves up with junk food. And you know what's funny about junk food? You never get full. The hunger remains. And it's this hunger that God is using in your friends, in your family, and the people around you to stir up some desire in them. There's something that they're missing, and you have it. Verse 15 says this, And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He was hungry. And his response was, Oh, well, I guess I'll join myself to a citizen of this country. And look what he does. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. This is the reality of your friends, of your family, of the people that are so far from God. There's a hunger that is burning down deep inside of them. And no one is giving them anything. They're starving. They're hungry. The fields are ripe for harvest. Can you imagine your friends right now? Can you imagine those family members that you think are so far gone from God, but God's doing a work down deep inside of them, and they're hungry, and they're starving, and no one's giving them anything? Can you see your children who have run away from Christ? Now see the work that God is doing in them. He is giving them a hunger that cannot be quenched. There's an emptiness. There's a void. They may not be running to church. They may not be knocking down your door, but they are starving. And no one is giving them anything. Do you see it? Healthy families care for those near and far, regardless of how imperfect they are regardless of where they are, regardless of how dirty they are, God cares. And healthy families care. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, you see, God is working something out. Right now, they haven't come to themselves. You see the after effects of the sin and the junk and the brokenness of life in your family, but God has a plan, and God is working that plan out. He is stirring it up, and there is something that is about to happen. There's a click that is about to be made in their brain. There's a, there's a, there's a revelation that is about to come for them. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my fathers 
hired servants have bread enough to spare. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Just take a moment to look inside the mind of a lost person. Do you see their position, their self-adorned shame? The father is waiting for the son to return. And in the son's mind, in your lost friend's mind, in your lost family's mind, in their mind, all they can see is their shame. But they don't show it on the outside. No, there's a mask that goes up in front of them. And that mask covers that shame. But there's a deep-rooted shame. Don't be surprised that they don't run to dress in righteous robes. (laughs) Don't be surprised that they don't feel like they measure up. Don't be surprised that they don't... Don't be surprised that they only put one foot in the doorway and keep the other foot out so they can leave quickly. And don't be surprised if they don't feel like they can call it home. Because to them, they're not good enough for the family. To them, they don't measure up to the family. There's an opportunity just waiting to build a healthy and strong family but we have to see it. Healthy families care for those near and far regardless of how imperfect they are. We must prepare a place. We must prepare a place to receive and to welcome the lost, to receive and to welcome the distant family, those that are are outcasts, those that are far away. We must see to it that the door remains open. We must see to it that the room is made ready, that there's a space to park their car when they get there, that there's food on the table just for them and a chair with their name on it. Do you see what I'm saying? We must prepare a place that says you're welcome here and we expect you at the table. We expect you in the family and we want you here. You might not feel like it, but we want you. You might not feel welcome, but we're welcoming you. You might not feel like you belong at the head of the table, but that's your chair. You see what I'm saying? Instead of, you treated me wrong. You hurt me. You make family the ultimate priority. 
that nothing, no how, no way, nothing matters more than you being in my house and brought back to the family. We must be ready for that open door moment. As a church, we must be praying for it. And we must be ready to respond. Verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, I love this. He arose, he responded. But God was preemptive. Even though he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Let me tell you, we still need runners today. We need men and women who will get up out of their chair and go running for the lost and chase them down. We need people who recognize, oh, they've stood up. They're ready for that moment and they run to them. We still need runners in the church today. The church still needs to be sending runners a great way off. Amen. The love of God does not wait for people to conveniently get close. The love of God reaches us even when we are so far away. We must still be in the business of sending missionaries. Do you understand? We must still be in the business of sending missionaries. The Assemblies of God was originally established with the plan to make sure that missionaries were sent around the world. And we have done a great job sending missionaries around the world. One of the most effective mission-sending agencies in the world is the Assemblies of God. But we're still responsible to send runners into the field. And you as a family are still responsible to send runners to those family members so that they know that they're loved and they're cared for. We don't sit idly by. We need to be in the business of establishing new churches. We need to be in the business of developing creative new outreach ministries and meeting people where they are. What we don't need is family squatters. Who, don't, who sit idly by waiting for a knock on the door. Well, I hope somebody comes to get saved today. I hope that, that boy of mine comes back home and makes things right with me. No, that's not the love of God. And that's not the character of the family of God. The character of the family of God are those who get up and they run and they chase down the family members and they tell them, you're loved, you belong here. We've already prepared a table for you. You're welcome in our home. Come and be with us. We need family runners who jump at every opportunity to reach the lost. Healthy families care for those near and far regardless of how.
Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You ought to know that when you run down somebody who is just kind of barely making that turn, they're still covered in shame. They can't comprehend why you love them because they're still covered in that shame. They, they, they can't believe that you would love them after what they've done, after how far they've broken the bonds of family, and, and yet you love them. Do you see that moment? That moment that is happening not with just your family, but with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people that are around you. They can't comprehend why you would love them, why you would care for them so much. Why does the church act the way the church does? Why is the family of God so different? But the Father. Somebody said, somebody say, but the Father. <laughs> but the Father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to celebrate. Because the lost was found. Let me tell you, church, we need to celebrate when the lost is found. When the lost comes home, they don't even know why we're celebrating. They're still getting in the groove of things, but we're excited. Why? Not because they've got it all cleaned up just yet. Not because they've got it all figured out just yet, but because they're back home again. Amen. Take a moment to consider how you might get prepared now for this encounter. When your son comes home. When your daughter comes home. When that lost friend that you didn't think would ever step foot in the church, steps foot in your church. These far away lost ones might not be as far away as you think. Are you ready to receive them. Have you prepared your home to welcome them? Has the church prepared itself to welcome lost sinners? We must. I tell you, we must. We must be prepared for when they walk in that door to say, you might not feel welcome, but you're welcome in this place. You might not feel like family, but you belong here, son. You belong in this place, and we want you here. And we must send missionaries. We must send runners. Why? Because on that journey when they're coming back, and they're just slowly making their way back to the cross, back to family, back to a place of reconciliation, and they're just, just just moving along. Let me tell you, that's when the enemy comes. And he says, you, you're not good enough to go back to family. 
You're not good enough to reach it back, to get back in church. You're not, you're not good enough to get back where you know you need to get back to. You just, you just take a rest here and you just, you just stop here for a second. And God sends runners into the field and God saves them out of that mess and says, you know what? Let me pick you up. I'm going to take you back home with me. Consider how you're preparing for the lost. Is your home ready? Is the table set? Do you have food in the fridge ready for that moment? We must. We must prepare for visitors in the church. We must make sure that local outreach is well funded. We must reach near and far. Oh, yeah, we can reach to the other ends of the world, but are we reaching into our backyards? Are we making sure that the backyard is well-funded and taken care of, that the neighbor across the street, the neighbor across the way is welcome in the house of God? Are we making sure that they feel that the family of God cares for them, no matter how imperfect, how broken, how messed up they are? We must because God is sending the faraway lost sinners to us. Do you see it? Healthy families care for those near and far regardless of how perfect they are. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. The older son. The firstborn son. The older son was in the field. He was doing what? He was doing what he ought to do. Sometimes it's those who are near to us. Who are, who, they've got it together. They're doing what we want them to do. The family. We're, we're proud of this one. This one's got it together, it seems like. They're doing what we want them to do. He's out in the field doing what his responsibilities are. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother, uh oh, your brother has come home. And because he has received and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. you got to notice the brother here. The brother often gets overlooked in this story, but he, he has a very important role and a very important perspective in this story. You see, the, the brother is near the father. Oh, he knows the father's heart. He knows what pleases the father. But notice his reaction when he sees celebration going on for his broken down, messed up brother. Oh, he's frustrated. What in the world is going on? This doesn't happen for me. Notice what he says. Remember, he's the one that's used to the praise. If you, if, if, if you are a firstborn, then you know that usually the firstborn gets the praise because they're expected to do all the great things and the baby usually gets all the attention. This is usually the way it works. And the baby gets babied. 
And the older son really doesn't like it. The older, the older, <laughs> it's not fair. They don't do anything right, and they get all this attention and all the love and all the special treatment, and I have to, you know, uh, deal with uh, getting everything right. I ought to be praised. Why aren't you praising me? <laughs> but he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. Do you see the brokenness on both ends? There's a brokenness that happens in the far reaches. There's a brokenness that happens in the family for those who are far away, those who don't have it together. But let me tell you, your family can be broken while they're going to church. Your family can be broken when they're near to your heart. Your family can be messed up when they're right next to you. He was angry and he wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, I want you to take a moment and realize something. The father stopped celebrating to make sure that the family was healthy. The father stopped the celebration piece so that he can make sure the rest of the family was cared for. In building healthy families, the family must come first. And sometimes that means that you and I don't come first. Sometimes that means that the one who's getting the greatest celebration isn't the one who gets all the attention because we're we're, we're taking care of the circumstances. We see, yes, this one has come, and this one is now making things right, and we celebrate that, and rightly so, we ought to. But we ought not neglect the other. So he answered his father, And said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, what did he do? He calls him out on his sin. Oh, look at that guy. Look at, the, look at the speck in his eye. You're wrong because he has a speck. <laughs> you killed the fatted calf for him. Guys, you need to realize this. This is real stuff. This is the way family really works. Okay? We're emotional. We don't always see the full picture, and we don't always get it. And if we don't deal with it in the moment, it creates bitterness and brokenness that tears your family apart down the years. You have to see what's happening and make sure that we respond in every situation by building the family near and the family far. He's consumed with himself and his own righteousness. And sometimes we're guilty of that as the church. We can be guilty of that. Because all we can see is our own needs, our own things that we're dealing with, and rightly so. 
there are things that we're dealing with. There are things in the church that need to be cared for. But sometimes we get so focused on the things that we're dealing with that we miss out on caring for the rest of the family. There's a lesson that the father teaches to both children in this wonderful story. And he teaches both near and far. And it's something we've got to apply to our families. That the family comes first. And we're here for each other no matter what. However, the loving father doesn't waste the opportunity. Instead, he takes the opportunity to build the family. Healthy families care for those near and far, regardless of how imperfect they are. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And that's true. All that he had was truly that son's. As a matter of fact, it was a double portion of what the other son got. Because in in that culture, the firstborn son got a double portion. Everybody else got what was left over. But the firstborn son always got a double portion. He got his father saying, listen, you got a double portion. Chill. Calm down. It's going to be there. But that's not what matters. The money isn't what matters. The things in life aren't what matters. What matters is blood. What matters is the family. What matters is that your, that, that your brother who was lost is now found. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He took the moment to say, Look, you matter too, but let's make sure the family comes first. Let's make sure that no matter what we might be going through, no matter what we might be facing, we don't cut each other down in this moment. No, we make sure family is first. Family comes first, and we welcome your brother home. We too must consider how we take opportunities of frustration and build up the house of God. We must not neglect those around us because we are so busy celebrating. Sometimes we have to take a break and make sure that everyone is on the same page. Amen. We can and we ought to do both for the sake of the family. We must build the family near and far. So how do you take this home? What do you do with this in your own living room? Let me challenge you to consider that your family, whether spouse, children, parents, or other relatives, all need to be built up. They might be near, or they might be far, far, far away. But they must never be neglected. The door must remain open. 
the arms of the family must remain open. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to accept sinful behavior or condone it. It simply means that the family is always family. We are here for each other, and we celebrate when the lost is found. It may mean that you need to prepare your home, honestly, to be a place that welcomes the lost. You might need to change some things up in your home. It may mean that you need to open the door that you should have never closed. It may be that you need to be that runner who sprints toward family who are lost and hurting. And it may mean that you need to sit down. Catch this. It may mean that you need to sit down with the rest of the family and have a good heart-to-heart. When your brother Joey comes home, we're not going to tear him down. In this house, this is a house of respect, and this is a place where we welcome family, and family comes first, and then we deal with the junk. But when he walks in this house, we don't send him away. See what I'm saying? Sometimes we need to sit down with the family and say, guys, family comes first, period. God is doing something. Trust Him. And prepare for that day of salvation. Amen. Amen. As we get ready to close, can I get some music? I'm going to have to ask our church to do something as well. I know this is a, a little strange, but Easter is six weeks away. And uh, to my left, to your right, there's a cross. The reason that cross is there is it is a symbol of the love of Christ for the far gone, the lost, the impossible to reach, the people that 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 it doesn't seem like they're, they're ever going to be good enough or get it together. You see, he paid for them on that cross. And it reminds us that Jesus is at work. See, Jesus is working in the lives of lost people, of lost family members, of broken and bitter souls. Oh, God's You might not see it. The evidence might not be on the outside, but God is at work on the inside doing things you cannot possibly comprehend because He has loved them from the creation of the world just as He has loved you. And He is drawing them back home. So I'm going to ask everyone today, I want you to stand up. Everyone stand up, and I'm going to ask, I know this is strange, but I'm going to ask you to come down to the altar, down to where this cross is. 
And we're going to spend some time. Please come down to the altars. Everyone, please come down to the altars. Make your way out of the, out of the seats and come down to the altars. What we're going to do is we're going to pray over everyone for two specific things. There are two things that I want us to leave here today with that weigh heavy on our hearts. Two specific things. One is that as a church, we would be filled with the Spirit and prepared for the harvest. We need the power of this Holy Spirit in our lives to prepare us to witness, to give us the strength to run when we don't feel like we have the strength to run. Amen? The second piece of that is this. I'm going to pray that God would bring to mind three friends that we can invite to Easter service. Each one of you need to have three friends. And let me tell you why. Because next week, you're going to take a piece of paper and you're going to write three names down on it and you're going to come nail it up to this cross. And you do not want to be the one who doesn't do it. So you need to pray right now that God gives you three names that you can put down on a piece of paper and go nail to that cross. And then over the next six weeks, we're going to spend time praying over those names and asking God to do something unique and special inside of them that causes a stir and causes them to come to the house of the Lord to return to the family of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we as a church are a body of believers, but also, Lord, that we're a family. And, Lord, there is nothing that will break us apart from each other. The love that we have for you and for each other is so strong. God, I thank you that when I'm broken and when I feel down and out, there's a place that I can call home here in this church, a spiritual refuge, a place where we can always come back and find ourselves and settle and know that we are, know know where we are in the journey of life. I thank you, God, that when we're here, we meet with you, that your spirit is here. And I ask God for each and every one of those in our services today, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and your power. Lord, move upon us, God. Move over your church in power and in strength. Anoint us, O Lord, that we might go out and be your witnesses in the byways and the highways, in the places that are difficult to reach. Oh, God, give us strength so that when we see the lost, we can run to them and meet them where they are. Father, we pray that you would give us the power of your Spirit so that when the words seem empty and we don't have uh, words to speak, God, that your Spirit would give us the right words in the moment to speak into the lives of the broken, into the lives of the hurting, into the lives of those who feel so much shame and brokenness. God, we thank you for the work you're doing in your church. And Lord, we pray you would help us be prepared, Lord. Help us be prepared as a church so that when someone walks in, we respond to them, that they feel welcome, that they feel like they belong, and that when they come into this place, there is a feeling of the Spirit that draws them. I pray, God, that we would hear continual reports of people who walk into these doors and all they can talk about is I don't know what it was but there was some special presence in that place and I liked it I thank you God for the power of your spirit 
Today, Lord, I also ask for each and every one, Lord, that you would bring to mind three friends. There are three friends, three people who need to return back to the family of God. Three people whom maybe they've never been part of the family of God and they need to come and, and, and find you. Maybe there's those friends of ours who, who they've, they've been part of the church, but they have, they've run away and they're far away. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, you would bring to mind these three friends so that over these next six weeks, we can pray for them as a church family and Lord, see miracles and see people come back to the church back to the family of God and be reunited with you we thank you for that in Jesus mighty name we pray amen amen thank you guys so much for being with us please continue to pray that God would bring those three men three people to your mind uh, so that you can write them down next week we'll see you guys on Wednesday men and women's groups on Wednesday by the way remember that men's and women's groups this Wednesday